So what would it look like if Kobe Bryant and T-Mac were on the same team? So if I'm not mistaken, I don't think there's been any in-season trades, or at least that I can think of, for the NBA so far. And it's going on three months, it has been three months, over into the league. And I thought I heard an announcer say something about in another week or so, by New Year's, it will be halfway through the regular season slate of games, which is 41 games out of 82 for each team. And with that being said, it makes me think it's going to be a domino effect for trades. And I don't want to spill into a bunch of trades for this episode, but I feel like one big trade goes down and then it's going to be several other trades. I think everybody's kind of playing, not necessarily chicken, but kind of wait and see like, okay, nobody's made a trade yet. Let's see how much more we can push with our team. Whether that be good or bad, we can kind of get in our heads exactly what needs to go down because I feel like trades may domino effect quickly to, you know, a trade goes down and then a few days later another trade and then a few days later more rumors and then by the next week you get another trade. I don't know how many teams will wind up trading, but with nobody making a trade and everybody kind of filling things out, I mean, you look on the Western Conference, I think they said that after the second place, like the Grizzlies and um, the Nuggets are top two. And then after that, the next one's all the way down through nine or the next nine. I can't remember. They're like within five games of each other. I mean, the Lakers, I think, are sitting in like a play-in spot or at least before the loss to the Mavericks. And they were like six games from being in six or something or fourth. It was something weird like that that was so close that it makes you think that you know, if a team makes a trade, they could get right back into a place that's more comfortable for them. So we'll see what happens. But I did want to mention that. And then maybe later on, I'll do an episode about trade speculation. I'm going to have to back it up because I missed most of the first game between the Sixers and the Knicks, I did start off watching that. Then we're watching some Christmas movies. Then I tried to catch the end of it. And I know the Sixers had came back. James Harden was on a tear there towards the end. So the Sixers are definitely looking ripe. They're looking like they're doing the right things while missing Tyrese Maxey. And Tyrese Maxey is definitely going to be the key for the Sixers to make it pretty far in the playoffs like the Sixers are no doubt a playoff team and a contending playoff team but what does it mean to be like a contending playoff team you want to be a contending team for the actual championship not just a team that can get out the first round of the playoffs and make it to the second round and then go maybe no further than that we need to see the Sixers actually make an attempt to get out the East because this is the year for them to do it. They might have one more year if they don't do it this year, but a lot of things have to fall in place um, because Harding may have the opportunity to leave if he wants to do that. So it's going to be hard to say 
this might be Harden's last year of actually competing for an, an actual championship if he doesn't want to take a pay cut and go somewhere else or if he doesn't want to stay with the Sixers. I mean, his mentality might be like, you know, if I don't get a championship now, I just want want to go play, have some fun somewhere else or make make money somewhere else. I'm not sure. I don't want to speak on that too early, but the Sixers are doing what they have to do. The The Knicks just had a tough assignment. I mean, it was a home game for them, and they looked ripe as well. Julius Randle was playing very well. I can't remember what RJ ended up with. I think Brunson had a double-double. I mean, RJ is going to be that kind of catalyst at times or that one guy that kind of looks like, okay, the Knicks aren't as ready as we thought because, you know, the developmental process of of RJ getting to that all-star level is still happening. Like he's had some great slate of games this season. And as of late, he's been playing very well, but we need to see the consistency, the attacking uh, and, and looking assertive. And I think he's being uh, more aggressive this season, but we definitely need to see him be a lot more consistent, but the three of them working together, Brunson, RJ and Randall is definitely what's going to push the Knicks through to get to that, upper level of contention, you know, definitely keeping their place or, or establishing the place as a primary top four team in the East. If nobody takes that from them, you know, um, I'm still kind of interested in what the Hawks got going on down there. We'll see if they do make or make, make or may not make a trade with John Collins or Capella or somebody else. I think there's something they could work with there. I'm not sure if they're going to pull the trigger this year to keep mentioning stuff, but the game after the Sixers and the Knicks, game two, the Lakers and Luka, basically. I should say just Luka versus LeBron. Uh, Yeah, like I said, I missed most of that game. LeBron, I think, ended up having another 30-plus point game. I'm sure Luca did as well. I don't remember his stats. I think he came close to another triple double, like eight boards, eight assists, I believe. But um, yeah, I heard some of the first quarter when I was getting ready to hit out, and I know the Lakers were up, but definitely had a feeling it wasn't going to last. They were shooting pretty well at the beginning, but Luca, uh, it took a while for him to get going. So I figured once he gets the spark, it was a home game. He wouldn't be uh, too devastated or or too far to come back from. So I guess that's what ended up happening because they won by double digits. The scoring did get up there higher than I thought it was going to be. The Lakers did score over 100. What did they have, like 110, 113 or something like that? But, you know, definitely not enough. Uh, LeBron's doing everything he can right now, but he's just looking to be all-star captain slash, you know, scoring champ for all time um so same old story for both teams to be honest just being played out on christmas day uh, i think um it looks like christian wood definitely stepped up this game so that's a help because luca needs all the help he can get you know it's impressive when he puts up these numbers but you don't want to see a player kind of like pull like an ai type of thing like Allen Iverson back in the day where, you know, you have this MVP type of caliber player but you or MVP player and you don't have enough firepower around him to even complement his skill to push through the game. It's like if this guy sits on the bench, it's over. So you definitely need a lot more consistency from Christian Wood, but I think they're still missing a piece. We'll see what 
the uh, Mavericks can do. And then we know the Lakers, even with Anthony Davis, if he does return, which it looks like it could be a possibility, but still not certain. So it's 50-50 if he returns or if he is going to wind up being out for the rest of the season. Um, Even still, if he were to come back, they need to make a trade. And that's another thing we need to talk about. Trades. So by the time that I got home, I was able to make it back to see most of the second half of the Celtics-Milwaukee Bucks game. And the Celtics were already up at that point. I don't know how the first half went. I did have it recorded. I may go back and watch that. But I'm in the middle of the rest of the games. The Celtics game just ended. Uh, I think Jason Tatum had dropped 20 points in that third quarter. And Jalen Brown in the fourth quarter, I think he dropped at least 10 as far as I know. So they combined for 70, so not exactly the numbers that I had said in the last podcast, but it was very close. Uh, Jalen Brown ended up with 29, and Tatum had 41. So there you have it. Those two guys, again, on a tear, holding down the home court, holding down the number one seed for the East right now. Um, this, to me, this game, you know, it definitely had to be a statement game, and it was a game that the Celtics definitely needed to win if they want to take themselves uh, even more serious as contenders for uh, making it to the finals and winning the championship. For the Bucks, this doesn't set them back a whole bunch, in my opinion. You know, so if you're a Bucks fan, I wouldn't get too worried about what your team has. Just maybe a little bit of worriness as far as what the Celtics may become because I think they're still improving. Robert Williams did get to play in this game, but he's not 100% yet. They haven't gotten his minutes up to regular yet, and he's not playing back-to-backs at the moment. But with the pieces that the Celtics have, if they're staying away from injuries, which is key for them going down the stretch, it's going to be crazy to see how good this team will look in the upcoming months by April, um, it's going to be pretty scary. But to me, this game put the Celtics almost in a category on their own. If you're watching some of the uh, NBA analysts, they kind of have like this tier thing where they're putting the Bucks and Celtics in their own tier for the East. And I think Boston definitely has a slight edge here going into the game, but now they have, to me, a little bit more of an edge. But I guess you could still say it's like a 1A and 1B type of situation. But um, I, I feel like, for me personally, I would put the Celtics in their own grouping. And then a close grouping right behind them would be the Sixers and the Bucks. And I haven't seen enough of the Nets to put them in there. I know they've been winning games. I think they are also on an eight-game winning streak along with the Philadelphia 76ers. So I'm sure they're close there too, and I know some analysts had the um, Sixers, Nets, and then there was a third team. I don't know if it was New York. It could be the Knicks, but there was three teams they bunched there in that grouping. I don't know. Maybe it was the Cavs. I can't quite remember what they were saying, but the way I'm looking at it, the Celtics are pulling away a little bit more and each win is definitely confidence building so I'm very strongly leaning towards the Celtics 
for making it out of the East even more so than I was previous. But the the Bucks, they're just missing Chris Middleton. It's hard to see what this team will become by the end of the season because Chris Middleton has been missing several games in a row now, so he's not even getting the reps in. So, you know, they're going to be a step behind the Celtics just because of that fact. Going back to what I was mentioning about Kobe and T-Mac, everybody knows who Kobe is. But T-Mac, if you're unfamiliar with T-Mac, T-Mac was like that counter to Kobe. He was like the Kobe of the East Coast, where Kobe was in L.A. T-Mac was, um, you know, most of his career was with Orlando. I would say his peak started there, and then it also went into when he was playing in Houston, but then the injuries came. So he never really got a chance to compete for a championship. He was on the roster for the Spurs that lost against Miami um, back in 2013. So that was his only finals appearance, and he ended up not winning the championship at all. But just anyway, going back, Kobe and T-Mac were like prolific scorers in the league. So how would that look in modern terms? In my opinion, I could compare that dynamic of what I would think it would look like if it were to mesh up well to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Two guys who can easily drop, I would say, before you know 20 to 25, but so far this season can easily drop 25 to 35. You know, uh, we've seen Tatum, he can easily go for 50. He usually has at least one 50-point game um, in the last several seasons. So I'm still waiting for that to happen. I don't think he's done that yet. He may have. If he's already done that, I would say he's definitely going to do it again this season. Uh, Brown, I don't know if he'll get to 50. Um, he's always improved. I, I like to mention that a lot. It's just amazing of how a player that is a secondary option has improved so much to where he can look like a a great first option on another team, uh, depending on who, who they were. But I like how these two guys can carry their own weight but at the same time can work together. And I mentioned before, like I didn't think it would be a great idea for the Celtics to try to break up Tatum and Brown. I think their problem was just a lack of experience, not team chemistry issues. And so far, things have worked out in the favor of team chemistry. Uh, even with them getting a, a new hit coach. So there's a lot of upside here still. And they're both getting better and they're both fairly young. They're basically like a year and a half, two years apart. I think Brown's 26, Tatum's 24. So these things are all mixing into the pot to make a good gumbo. Let's just call it a gumbo because you got a little bit of everything when you add these two uh, guys together, the way they play with each other and their teammates. So I just I, I sound redundant because I keep mentioning the Celtics and how good these two players are, but every time I'm watching a game, and especially if they're going to win a game, it's very impressive or the countenance is very impressive, how they carry themselves and how they looked locked in. And then like at any given moment, they can just spark the team or, or do what they need to do as an individual to uh, basically pull away or win a game. Like, I mean, they're not playing scrubs here. They're, they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks and they're not fully healthy, but the Bucks definitely a team that you pay attention to when they're coming to your town, coming to your building, or playing against your your team if you're not rooting for them. So no scrubs there. So with the Celtics being at the top of the East and taking over 
the game and going against the Bucks like they do, even though they're shorthanded, they're taking care of business, and I really like that. One of the reasons why I mentioned T-Mac, because I've always said that Tatum was uh, a reminiscence of Kobe to me as far as his game style, his gameplay. He even went to L.A. and trained with Kobe. I think it was like his second season in the league. So that was something that I always kept in mind and how he idolized Kobe, that this guy would take on filling the shoes of being that type of player mentally and having some of that mid-range attack and that Mamba mentality. But T-Mac was the perfect reference I could think of for Jalen Brown without pinpointing uh, the person because I could never actually pick who Jalen Brown kind of reminded me of as far as that type of player. But watching the Celtics game, they said that Jalen Brown went and called up T-Mac over the summer and trained with him uh, wherever T-Mac might have been. I don't know if he's in Florida. He might be in Florida. And um, he trained with him, so that helped with improving the skills that we've already seen him improve upon the last couple of seasons. So the the tenacity of like a T-Mac, he might not have that exact same athleticism because T-Mac in his prime was crazy. He looked like an and one mixtape himself, but that attack the basket, attack the rim, shoot off the dribble, shoot the three, handle the rock, can make a play for himself or another player on the court, that smart offensive decision-making, along with the capability of giving you steals on the defensive end by guarding perimeter players. like That defines the game for Jalen Brown. That is what he's improving towards, is being that peak T-Max. So this is just amazing to me and mind-boggling that if these guys peak at a T-Mac, and a Kobe, it's going to be tough. It's going to be over. I mean, if they get a taste of winning the championship, they're going to definitely try to go back to back to back, I think. I think they can go a run, maybe do a Larry Bird three-peat. But I don't want to jinx that yet because, you know, they got to win one championship first. Did you hear the news about Ja? Oh, Ja. I did a YouTube video back in the summer, late spring, and it was about Kyrie Irving and how he was basically losing, uh, going forward, his partnership with Nike and them producing his signature line of sneakers. And then, you know, months later, it was actually, you know, a lot of other stuff going on. So he just basically lost out with being with Nike's team in general. So anyway, during that time before all that happened with Kyrie, and I was doing the speculation of, you know, what would be Nike's next signature athlete for basketball, and my guess was John Morant because he was one of the players that definitely deserved his own signature shoe. I think he would be uh, very marketable for Nike. And here it is. And they announced that Nike is doing the Jaw One. I don't know a lot about the technology. I can easily look it up. It's on Nike's app, not the sneakers app, but the Nike's app. And uh, also, if you watch the game or go back and watch the highlights from the Christmas Day game, Jaw is actually wearing a pair. These pair actually look uh, like a cool co color combination. I don't know the exact colors of that sneaker, but it looks like some type of 
like purple with some teal or something. I, I like it. I think it stands out pretty easy. Uh, one thing I do notice about the shoe, it gives a Kobe vibe pretty much because of the way it's cut and then the way the swoosh, swoosh is positioned. Um, the LeBron 20s kind of remind me of a Kobe shoe as well, but you know, with a thicker midsole and a different type of outsole. But the jaws, I'm sure they're going to be Kobe S because what I notice a lot with jaw is that I think pretty much since he's been in the league, he's been wearing Kobe's. So um, I would say that technology would be not quite up to par as Kobe because usually when a player has uh, their first signature shoe, especially with Nike, it usually doesn't have as much technology in them as uh, some of the other signature athletes that's been out for a while. So that price is usually indicative of that. So it's not just that Nike marks up their prices because obviously they want to make a profit too, but it also involves a lot of what technology may be in the shoe or what might be missing in the shoe. So like I said, if you compare this to a Kobe shoe, it might have the look, but it won't have the exact same technology. Maybe down the road, Jaw will uh, have better technology in his shoes, but most likely with the way he plays, it's going to be something that should be pretty light. Uh, hopefully great traction, uh, good lateral movements. I would expect that. And uh, with the being a first signature shoe, the price shouldn't be too bad. But with inflation, I would guess that this shoe is going to run closer to 130. Uh, I would say as low as 125 and as high as 135. So I would say around $130 is probably what's going to be the price of your standard Jaw Ones. The Warriors are doing it again. They are playing like a totally different team at home. They have a halftime lead, I believe, against the Memphis Grizzlies for this Christmas Day game. So I'll update you after the game is finished. But just looking at how they've normally been playing the last couple games without Steph, but even throughout the whole regular season so far, the away games have been either just terrible or close to it on, on most occasions where they're just getting blown out or they just cannot get a lead at all. Here, they're getting a lead and maintaining a lead. So the game is actually more competitive at this point than what it might be towards the end. We could see if they hold on to the lead. I think I'm still sticking with Memphis on winning the game, but I will update you after the game and see which prediction came right and what else we might see during the second half. Uh, I do want to say once more, I do like Jaws shoes. I'm really feeling those, and I think I have to get a pair whenever they come out. Don't know if they're going to release that colorway, but I'm sure he'll have several different ones. Be on the lookout for that. Just another quick update on that. I don't think the first ones are slated to drop until April, but... Nike may do some limited releases randomly between now and then. I told you there was going to be a lot of technical fouls in this game between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Didn't let down. I think they ended up with like six technical fouls on the Golden State Warriors. Wow, Golden State crushed that game against the Grizzlies. Wasn't expecting it to be that kind of finish, but um, 
yeah, ultimately they won the game. I think so far for me, I am three and four out of the games for Christmas Day on predictions. But again, it's a Warriors home game and they play totally different. Uh, Jordan Poole was going off. Uh, Ty Jerome stepped up. Klay Thompson had a pretty decent game. Draymond didn't have a triple-double, but he double-doubled with rebounds and assists. Uh, but yeah, one thing with the Warriors is that Jordan Poole got a second technical foul, so he was ejected out of the game. It's a little bit more than midway through the fourth, I believe. It might have been six, eight to six minutes left, somewhere around there. And the Warriors were able to sustain the lead. And win by double digits. So not a huge concern for me for the Warriors. Like I said, going back, the biggest concern is just them playing on the road. They need to pick that up and, and play more aggressively and, and defend the ball better. But at home, I mean, they're shooting really, really well. Outshot the Grizzlies by like twice as many threes. I think it was like 18 threes to their nine threes. But um, yeah, nothing too serious going on for this game for with Jordan Poole for the Warriors to watch out in the future outside of him racking up more technical fouls, which would eventually lead to an automatic uh, like one-game suspension and, and so forth. I think the more you get after that, it uh, would be like a two-game suspension. But on the other end, for Memphis, an Achilles heel for them would be Jaron Jackson Jr. getting into foul trouble, which is what... I was kind of afraid of could happen in this game. I didn't mention it. I was hoping he'd have a decent game because of not playing against a dominant big, but he's so aggressive on defense that sometimes he has the trouble scaling back on what to do on defense in the manner of not getting a foul called against him. So one of the fouls was he grabbed the back of a jersey uh, after being checked into the game in a matter of, Seconds, I think it was like less than a minute of game time. So the coach sat him back out because that got him to his fourth foul. Um, one of the announcers, commentators did mention that he would have just let him play through it so he can get used to playing with fouls because if he's going to keep getting fouls, then he needs to understand how to scale back while in the game instead of being sat and then come back into the game wind up getting another foul or something like that. If you're going to repeat that pattern, it, you don't really learn how to play less aggressive. So he wind up not fouling out of the game, but he didn't come back to the fourth quarter. But yeah, I mean, having him in the game would have helped a whole lot more on the offensive end with rebounding. I mean, even scoring, three-point shooting. He would have just added a little bit of the spark that they would have needed. And especially on the defensive end, uh, again, grabbing boards or helping out on the interior, but the Warriors were just shooting ridiculously hot from behind the arc, and that's something that you have to control against the Warriors team, especially at home, because once they get going, if you're not keeping up with that same pace, you're going to look like the Los Angeles Lakers out there as an opponent. So that's basically what sums up the course of the game. Um, not as an impressive game for the Grizzlies because they came out with the loss, but Jaw did have 36 points, and it's looking like he had seven rebounds, eight assists, so not bad at all by any means as far as statistically for an opening Christmas Day game for your career, but obviously he would have liked to have 
uh, gotten a win there. I know he didn't miss a lot of uh, outside shooting uh, with his three-pointers. I think he got at least one, maybe two, but he shot more than that, so I don't know what his percentage was behind the arc, but uh, Desmond Bain was a little off in rhythm, so it was a lot going on. Maybe they could have played a lot more through uh, Tyus Jones at times if they would have brought him in a little bit earlier to run with Jaw to get a little bit more shooting out there on the floor. But, you know, he contributed in his normal way. So for the uh, Grizzlies, this is a humbling loss. I know Jaw just said about not being worried about the West, but this is something that you build on. And it is early enough in the season, almost midway, but enough for them to make a proper adjustment and to be able to learn from this and be better next time. I'm not sure of their schedule. I would say they're going to meet the Warriors again, hopefully. But um, if I'm not mistaken, I think this was already the second time. So they might have another another one or two possibly coming up. They're not in the same division, so I'm not sure. But um, you definitely have to learn by this and and... I think the biggest thing for me, the takeaway would be for Jaron Jackson Jr. to learn how to control his uh, foul trouble situation. Just wrapped up the Christmas Day games. That was a crazy finish to end the five-game slate. The Denver Nuggets were taking on the Phoenix Suns, and the Denver Nuggets won. But it was an overtime game, and Devin Booker only played four minutes. And four minutes into the game, he left and wouldn't return to the game. He returned to the sideline fully dressed in his street clothes. Um, I guess he re-injured the growing injury that he was dealing with the last several games that he missed, so he may miss some more time. So with that being said, I was assuming that the game was going to be the blowout, kind of like what I predicted before. If Devin Booker weren't was to not play, then the uh, Nuggets would kind of run away with it, but that wasn't the case. I did get one prediction right, at least, and that was me falling asleep during this game. I fell asleep during the second quarter and when I woke up it was towards the end of the third quarter so I missed like those two quarters almost entirely and the actual halftime so uh, I woke up to a close game or not even close uh, when I woke up I think it was almost a 10 point deficit for the Denver Nuggets so I was quite interested in that to see what was going on I knew at that point that Devin Booker still wasn't returning but I figured that um, something else must have been happening and the Suns had some help with some guards that normally don't have as big of a role when the team's fully healthy and Damian Lee and Landry Landry Shamit so with them stepping up they were able to compete in the game looks like Chris Paul was definitely uh, clutch towards the fourth quarter uh nothing huge but he he did show up in the fourth quarter and the overtime from what I saw I don't know his overall stats or how he played for the majority of the game but um he was definitely in the zone you know trying to lead the team find the open man trying to think if there's anything else that I noticed from the Suns in regulation I don't even know what the stats were for DeAndre Aiden 
But the three-point shooting was there for Phoenix. And this was reminding me of the game before this one when the Warriors had a lot of three-point shooting going on compared to the Grizzlies. So I was thinking that Denver, if they don't get any three-point shooting going, they're they're going to uh, lose this game. And they did have some three-point shooting uh, here and there. It, at first, it was looking like they weren't going to shoot themselves out of the game a couple times. But Jamal Murray had a nice fourth-quarter boost. Um it looks like he didn't score very much in the first half, but he ended up with 25 in regulation before he went in overtime. He had one point in overtime, but Aaron Gordon had like a dunk show, basically. It showed all of them uh, from the game into the dunk leading to the overtime finish, or I guess that was like, actually, that wasn't the overtime finish. That was like the clutch shot there which was him dunking on, uh, I think it was Shammy. He was trying to take a charge, and he dunked. Basically got an and one call, so he had a clutch dunk. He had a couple alley-oop dunks. He also had some reverse jams. He was just putting on a, a nice display, but I think he ended up with 13 rebounds, 28 points. And Jokic, he had... 41 points, I believe, to end the game and a triple-double. I was hesitant to say yesterday who I thought the MVP was going to be. Uh, my front runners were Jokic, Luka, and Tatum. I was kind of leaning towards Tatum because I was like, if he has a game where he scores a lot, which I felt like he was hungry enough to do it, he was going to look like the MVP. But something told me not to say that because it – because there were too many other contenders. So it looks like definitely Jokic with the win. And the triple-double, the biggest um, point, or the most points scored for a Christmas triple-double. And he has the mo- most points scored on Christmas Day for a Nuggets player. So definitely impressive. But also not just as an individual standpoint, but from a team standpoint for the Denver Nuggets they moved in to the number one spot for the West. They were going to tie in a three-way tie with the Grizzlies and the Pelicans if they had lost this game because the Grizzlies had lost against the Warriors in the game prior to this one. But with them winning, uh, the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, I believe, are tied for a half game back, maybe a full game, but I think it's half game back. So... um yeah, the Nuggets are not tied with anybody, and they're the number one seed as of right now. And that is very impressive. I know RJ was talking on the announcing there. He was a commentator for this game, and he was basically saying, in his opinion, that this puts Jokic up on top for the race for a league MVP, regular season MVP. And you can't argue with the facts. I mean... Tatum is definitely there. Uh, Giannis is going to be another player to mention and and Luka. But when you can hold down a conference, especially the Western Conference, with it being as tight as it is, and you're putting up those type of numbers with the triple-doubles, getting the wins, I mean, it's it's hard to argue. So I think it's going to be a little bit of back-and-forth action from here on, um, maybe till the finish line of the end of the regular season, which is great. You know, it's very entertaining that – you don't have a clear-cut favorite because you have 
a few guys that are just playing that well, like game to game. So it's good. It's not like you have this one MVP and then everybody else that could be mentioned just isn't playing at a certain standard. So I do like this back and forth. It's really awesome. But if Jokic wins this, he would be in company with just three other players to win three MVP awards in a row, three seasons in a row, and that's Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, and Larry Bird was the last to do it in the 80s. So it's been over 30 years, getting closer to 40 um, since anybody's done this, if he were to pull it off. So that's very impressive. So he's definitely putting up the numbers, and he's getting the win. So the Nuggets, with them looking healthy and having all their players able to be on the court, get the reps in, including Michael Porter Jr., uh, Jamal Murray looks like he's getting back in rhythm. We still haven't seen peak form Jamal Murray, but you could tell he's getting out there with his athleticism and, and his shooting ability once more. So that's definitely a plus. So this is what Denver's been missing the last couple of seasons when we're talking about health. So we need these guys to sustain for Denver to really truly be a contender in the playoffs to see how far they can go. I mean, uh, Jokic could definitely get the team out of the first round. But when you're talking about health, you're talking about the last time they made a serious push as far as looking like a true contender was back in the bubble when the Lakers won the championship. They didn't, I can't remember if they faced the Lakers or not, but they had that big heavy battle with uh, the Utah Jazz where Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray were just going off with scoring like over 30 points a game. It was crazy. There's a bunch of stuff there. Uh, the the Nuggets had to deal with like back-to-back series of like going on uh, seven games. So it, it took a lot out of them. So it's going to be interesting to see if they stay healthy, how scary this team could be. So, you know, they might not stay as the number one seed all season long. I know things do happen, but they are going to be what looks to be a top four, top three team in the West. So once again, yeah, congratulations to any Nuggets fans. It was definitely an impressive win tonight, even though they didn't have Devin Booker, but just because of what was on the line and how everything went down and it was a home game, you have to definitely win these games. So yeah, the prediction for me, I thought would have been a blowout, but it wasn't. Um, So, you know, everybody came to play and I I didn't fall asleep because the game was boring. I was just basically tired and just watching the screen for several hours and back-to-back games like that sometimes gets to me a little bit but I'm glad I was able to wake up without the game being over and watch that fourth quarter and the overtime it was uh pretty thrilling to see the uh Jazz come back and even the the Suns to to battle that out but yeah for Suns fans you know when you're not healthy it's harder to compete and and really judge where you're at especially in the Western Conference, you know, missing Devin Booker, your number one guy, then missing guys like uh, Cameron Payne, who adds depth for playmaking ability to relieve some of the wear and tear that you put on Chris Paul, and then to miss uh, Cameron Johnson, who this year has become a starter because of the way the rotation worked out, and then them not having Jay Crowder because of that, he didn't want to be on the team this year because he was basically losing his spot. So this guy needs to, you know, get some more reps in uh, when he does return to help them in the playoffs because he is definitely an improved player um, since he's been in the league the last several years. So, yeah, Phoenix definitely has a lot to look forward to, but 
when you're playing against a fully healthy team or, or a team that has most of their players playing, it's definitely a, a lot challenging for you. But sometimes it gives you that added boost to win a game. But uh, for the Nuggets, a team like that, or a team like the Celtics, when we're talking about these top teams and their conferences respectively, when you can get that team chemistry going early on, it, it definitely helps a lot towards the end of the regular season, assuming injuries don't uh, set the team back. So, yeah, congratulations on everybody who won their games. I hope it was exciting for you um, to watch it, or even if you didn't watch it, me trying to give you some of the uh, backstory from what I saw and evaluations from the games. But, um, yeah, just one thing I would like to see come back eventually is – those Christmas Day jerseys, I think that would be cool. But outside of that, I was entertained by the matchup. So uh, a great showing for the Christmas Day games. Uh, like I said, I missed all of the Lakers games. I don't know how that was, but all the other games seemed to be um, really, really great games and definitely worth uh, being on TV. So I'm definitely impressed with that. And the storylines haven't failed. But, yeah, just another thing. I'd like to mention again, just keep an eye on uh, trades when they start to go down. Uh, there's going to be multiple, in my opinion, but everybody's just in a tight race. And even if you're down as far as the Lakers, there's still an opportunity because of how close the uh, spacing is between uh, team wins and team losses, how many games back they are. So we'll see what happens over the course of the next month. And then obviously the All-Star game is coming in February. If you haven't voted, you know, make sure you could try to vote. I have not voted. Today was a triple vote day. They're going to have several more of those. So it'd be interesting to see who are going to be possible first time all-stars. I'll talk about that later when I get the chance, but you know, just a few names Uh, on the East. You can definitely uh, vouch for Tyrese Halliburton and on the West, you could vouch for Laurie Markkinen, who would be a hometown hero because the, Games are being played in Utah. Shout out to my boy Dejuan, the all-star over there in Salt Lake City. Thank you, everybody, for kicking it in the second half. Peace and love.